Today, our denomination, the denomination that we're a part of, has called for today to be Church Planning Sunday across the United States. Isn't that convenient? Church Planning Sunday today. Yeah, pretty cool that our denomination would uh, call for such a thing and that it would be this day. Our church, our English church here, was started 49 years ago. We have planted many other ethnic churches. We started, our first one was a Vietnamese church that we started in 1992. Since then, they have planted, last I heard, was nine other churches around Atlanta, uh, this Vietnamese church. We've also started a Spanish church. They meet after us here in this building. An Eritrean and an Ethiopian church. They meet at the same time. Uh, and a Korean church. We just started them in uh, January. They're meeting right now beneath our, our building. That's pretty cool. Uh, we're, we just started an Oromo-speaking church as well. And uh, I think that's all of them. A French African. Okay, we, we started the French African church. That was four years ago. Since then, the French Africans have already planted four other churches. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, but in 49 years, our English church has never intentionally planted another English church. But that's going to change. It's going to change soon. It may have already changed. You know, uh, I heard recently that a birth is, a life begins in the womb, right? We believe that. Life begins in the womb. And so uh, they say with church planning, the moment that there is a dream and a vision that's conceived in heaven. So there's already life. I believe that there's already church planning life because we have visions for many churches around. And I think we're on the cusp of planning two, four churches in the next two to four years. I really do. Our denomination, we're broken up into districts. Our district that we're a part of is North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Alabama, and Mississippi. The district superintendent and the district, we are all together in this we have, a, we have a goal of planning one church every month until Jesus returns. How's that for a good goal? By the grace of God, God's going to use us here at this church to be a part of that. And we're going to be planning churches. And our, our nation and our de denomination is calling for everybody to plant churches. Why is it a need to plant churches I found out some stats that were uh, troubling to me and burdensome for me and grieved me. Did you know that in the past 20 years in the United States, there has been a decrease. It's gone from 70% membership in church to 50%. That's a 20% decrease in church membership in 20 years, yeah, boo, that is sad. And you wonder why things are going the way that they are in our nation. It's like, well, this is just a reflection of where we're at. Um, did you know, this one also grieved me, there is not a single county, you think of all the counties in the United States, 
There is not a single county where church growth and Christianity has increased with population growth. As population growth has gone like this, churches are declining. There are only 3% of church, only 3% of churches are actively involved in church planning. Only 3%. We're going to take it from 3% to 3.001% or whatever. Because we are going to become part of a church planning church. And you may think, oh, well, that may be all the other counties, but really in Gwinnett County, no. Uh, Gwinnett County, I, I looked it up. There are, there's 980,000 people in Gwinnett County. There's 195,000 evangelicals, pretty good, 75,000 Protestants, 67,000 Catholic, but there's 466,557 people that are unaccounted for. We have no idea what's going on with those 466,000. Now listen to this too. In the next 20 years in Gwinnett County, this is startling and it's like, oh, what's going to happen with this? In the next 20 years in Gwinnett County, we're going to go from 980,000 people, it's projected to be 1.5 million in 20 years. There's going to be 500,000 people added to Gwinnett County. Some of you are thinking about the roads and the housing developments and all this other stuff that's going to change. What I think about with 500,000 people is we need more churches. As population growth goes like this, we got to be active in church growth. Let me tell you this, too, this is a stat. In the United States, there is currently one church for every 2,000 people. One church for every 2,000 people. At the best time in the United States, when there, there was a great awakening, there was, and this was in 1905, so relatively not that long ago, in 1905, there was one church for every 400 people. That, yeah, wow. And, and they say that in order to maintain and, and keep it going and increase and revival, we have to get back to those numbers. Now, if we're going to add 500,000 people to Gwinnett County, in order to just stay the same, we have to add 250 churches to Gwinnett County. Just to stay the same. If we want to see revival and see an increase, we need to plant way more churches, uh, 500 churches, 1,000 churches, and that's just Gwinnett County. I believe God wants to not only do it in Gwinnett, but in DeKalb, and Cobb, and Fulton County, and Clark County up in Athens. I believe God wants to bring about a church planting movement. I really do. Because I want to see, instead of it going, decreasing by 20%, 20, if it decreased by 20% in 20 years, who's to say it can't increase 20% in 20 years? Or why is it that only 3% of churches are not involved in, or are involved. That means 97% of churches are not involved in church planning. 90%, 97% are not involved in church. And listen to this. This, this, one, this one hits me too. In our denomination, in the history of the alliance in Atlanta, 
There has never been one church that has intentionally planted and successfully planted another English-speaking church. It's true. Not in, in our denomination, there's never been one. We're going to be the first. Or it's going to be history the moment that we do it. And I believe we've already made history because it's already there. We're going to change that. But why is it, why is it that church planning is so difficult that, that we, we don't want to do it? Well, it's because we like to keep things the way that it is. It's because we're scared to send. It's because it's hard to send. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to give away. You like to just maintain and add. But I'm telling you this, church. God has not called us to maintain. God has not called us to add. He's called us to multiply. And he's called us to be fruitful. And so today I want us to, we're going to take a break from the uh, book of Hebrews. But today I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can grab a Bible in front of you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Hallelujah. That is a promise, church. We can take it to the bank. I love the promises of God. When he, God says he will do something, he will do it. Amen. Especially when he calls you to action. When he, t when he calls you to a step of faith, oftentimes there's a promise and a response from God. So here in this verse, he's saying, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully this is the scripture for us now God has called us to sow bountifully now here's the thing I want us I want us to see here in this scripture today is that God is the supplier he is the activator and he is the producer the reason why we can sow bountifully and we have a little part to play, is because God goes before us, and God goes way after us, okay? First, I want us to see how God is the supplier. In verse 8, it says this. This is an incredible promise. It's the nature of God. This is a verse for each of us to grab hold of today. It says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, each one of you, he's not limiting anyone, abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Hallelujah. God is able. Say it with me. God is able. God is able. Let's say it again. God is able. Yes. Do you believe it? God is able. Nothing is too difficult for God. There's not a single challenge you're faced with. There's not a single disease he can't heal. There's not a single thing he cannot deal with. God is able. Nothing is impossible for God. Death is, God overcame death. 
God can overcome any situation, any struggle, anything that you're going through. God is able. You can hold on to that. God is able to make all grace. All grace. It's a gift. It's not great. The definition of grace is a gift. It's something that you get that you do not deserve. You don't earn grace. You don't earn things from God. You receive it from him. He is all grace. And then it says that you may, ab uh, to abound to you. He doesn't want you just to have a little. It wants to be an overflow and an abundance. And then it says, so that having all sufficiency. The word sufficient is not uh, used too much nowadays. But the word sufficient means God has an unlimited supply. He, in fact, he, when he gives, he immediately gets a return. As, as soon as he gives something, he, he always has more. He never runs out of supply. So it's like uh, I, I have $100 here. And uh, if I were to go down and give Don $100, which I, uh, no, which I know Don would love, but if I were to give, if I'm God and I give Don $100, God immediately gets another $100 in his pocket. Uh, God is the God that can just, he, he gives, he could give, go around, give everybody $100, and he immediately has all that money more in his pocket. He has, he is all sufficient. That is the definition of sufficiency. And it's hard for our human minds to wrap our heads around this because we have a limited supply. Like when I give this money to Don, I, I am out $100, right? But God, he gives and he gives and he gives and he has an unlimited supply. He is all sufficient. This is the God, he just, he does, it, money is nothing to him. He just gives and gives and gives. He is all sufficient. And it not only says that, it says he's all sufficient in all things, in everything, in money, in energy, in joy, in peace. He has more to give. You need more peace, he's got it. He's never had, he's never been stressed out and he never will be stressed out. Hallelujah. Oh, I get stressed all the time. Oh, I get tired all the time. God never gets tired. He is all sufficient. He never runs out of money. Hallelujah. He's all sufficient in all things. Not only that, but at all times. He has never been, he's never had a day where he wasn't sufficient. From the beginning of time, he knows no time. He's always existed. But from the time he spoke and the world came into being and these beautiful stars and the planet and the flowers came into existence, he was all sufficient. He was all sufficient for Adam and Eve. He was all sufficient for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. He was all sufficient for the prophets, for Jesus, for the disciples. He was all sufficient for the early church for the church in the, in the 1700s and in the 1900s, he's all sufficient today. Yes. He was all sufficient for you when you were in your mother's womb. 
He's all sufficient when you were birthed. He was all sufficient when you were a teenager, an adolescent, going to college, becoming a parent. He's all sufficient to you as a grandparent. He'll be all sufficient for your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren at all times. Whether there's wars, whether the economy's going crazy, whether inflation's going up, God is all sufficient. Hallelujah. Gas, gas prices may change, but God doesn't change. He is all sufficient at all times in all things. Why? And here's our part. So God is this way. Here's our part. So that you may abound in every good work. You see, here's where he's the activator. He's the supplier. And by the way, if you ever question the sufficiency of Christ... Just look at the cross. If you ever question all grace, just look at the cross. God gives to you, even yet while you are still sinners, Christ died for you. His grace is available for everyone who chooses to trust in him. And he gave his all, his one and only son. He gave it for every person who chooses to believe. He loves you. He's sufficient for you. Hallelujah. And so, with that in mind, the all-sufficiency of Christ, the all-grace of Christ, he calls you to abound. That word abound is used twice in the verse 8. He doesn't want you just to survive. <laughs> so many people, it's like, oh, just get me to Friday. Oh, I just can't wait to get a vacation. Oh, I'd rather be dead. Some people... No, he wants you to abound. He wants you to abound, to be overflowing in every good work, not just some good work. And it says that you may abound in every good work. Not just that you would abound when you go to Florida and sit on the beach. I mean, we love to abound there. But that we would abound in every good work. And God calls us to work. And so we have this little piece in the middle. We respond out of the abundance of God, and God calls us to this little piece. And here uh, in verses 5, 6, and 7, it gives us what not to do and what to do. Verse 5, it says not to give an exaction, but rather give a willing gift. God wants us to give it willingly, not out of compulsion, but out of a willing spirit. And then uh, verse 6 tells us not to do it sparingly, but instead do it bountifully. That word sparingly, uh, the word spare, you think of like a spare tire, right? You don't use your spare tire. You don't really need your spare tire. It's just extra. God's saying, don't give your extras. Don't give what you don't need. He's saying not to do it spare, or you think about spare change. You know, it's like, oh, no problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw that in for a donation. That's sparingly. That's giving them your, instead he's calling us to do it bountifully, all in. God's gone all in for you. It's time for us to go all in for him. It's an overflow. And then verse uh, 7 says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but rather give cheerfully. 
This is where it's not calling for religion. So many people coming to church on Sunday, it's like, for some of you this morning, getting up an hour earlier, oh, at least I got here. Uh, this is reluctantly. That's reluctantly. Like, too much of church is reluctant. No, instead it says to come cheerfully. Yes, I'm here at church. Oh, I get to go to pray. I get to, I get to give in the offering. That's cheerfully. And what causes that? It's the sufficiency of God that calls us to be all in for him. That's why you love giving in the offering. That's why you love praying. That's why you love coming to church on Sundays or going door knocking. That is what God's calling for. And a perfect example of that is a chapter earlier. If I just got to ha- I have to look at this. Chapter 8 verses 2, 3 and 4 talks about this uh, church in Macedonia. Macedonia was northern Greece. Corinth was southern Greece. He's talking about the Macedonians here. And in verse 2, it says that they had severe, this isn't just minor, this is a severe test of affliction, yet the church had an abundance of joy. You see, uh, it's not circumstantial. The Macedonian church had a circumstance which was horrible. They had severe affliction. Many of us don't know what severe affliction even looks like. Some of us do. But they had a severe test of affliction. But in the middle of that, they had an abundance of joy, it says. Isn't that incredible? How many of you want to live there? I want to have an abundance of joy even when craziness is going on around me. And then it says that they not only had that, but they had extreme poverty. And in the midst of their extreme poverty, they didn't just have, they weren't just poor, they were extremely poor. And so that they had an overflow in a wealth of generosity. And then verse four, it says that, or verse three, it says that they gave beyond their means. And verse four, it said they were begging to give. <laughs> They weren't just giving reluctantly. They were like, hey, can I give? Can I give? Can I give? Can I give? Oh, how, how can I help? How can I help? I mean, they were just throwing out $100 everywhere. They probably they didn't have that because they were extremely poor. But what they had, they gave. Isn't that incredible? Man. Oh, I want to live. You know what that is? That is sowing bountifully. That is going all in in response to the God who has gone all in for them. And so we are called to sow bountifully, to give willingly, and to be a cheerful giver. To tell you the difference between these two, I, I have a, uh, a little comparison between giving sparingly and bountifully. To give sparingly is living in the poverty spirit. To give bountifully is living in the abundance spirit. To give uh, sparingly is religious. It's reluctant. You're, you're doing things to hope to earn uh, relationship with God. To give bountifully, there's a flowing relationship. You know that uh, you have the spirit of adoption. Sparingly, if you're giving sparingly, that's the orphan spirit. Bountifully flows out of a spirit of adoption. Sparingly, there's never enough. 
You see, there's rich people that give sparingly. It's not about being rich or poor. The Macedonians, were they had relatively less means, but they gave bountifully. It's not about how much you give. It's about the proportion in which you give. But sparingly, it's like you never have enough. Bountifully, you always have enough. Sparingly, it's insufficient. Bountifully, you're flowing out of the sufficiency of Christ. Finally, sparingly is fruitless. Bountifully is fruitful. And this is where God, his role, he is the supplier. He's the activator. But then he is the producer. And you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love verse 10. He who supplies, there he is, God's the supplier, seed to the sower, that's, our, that's the activator, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. He's, he's the activator with the sower. Then it says this. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. Everybody say increase. increase. Increased the harvest. Everybody say harvest. harvest. Increase the harvest. It says he will multiply he will increase, and he will bring about the harvest. You see, God is the supplier. He's the activator. He activates us to sow bountifully, and then he is the producer. Did you know that in the Bible, 63 times God, God uses the word fruitful, and 118 times the word multiply is there. Hallelujah. God wants you individually and for us as a church to be fruitful and to multiply. If we are not bearing fruit, if we are not multiplying, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because God throughout his word tells us that if we are in Christ, we will be fruitful and will multiply. We ought to be seeing you individually and us corporately. We ought to be seeing salvations, baptisms, church planning. Your life group ought to see multiplication in your life group. It ought to happen. John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me as I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Not just a little fruit, much fruit. I think about in Matthew 13, he talks about the sower who sows seed. And the seed that is the seed that God wants to bring about, it says it multiplies 30, 60, 100 fold. That's the good seed. If you're good seed, you will multiply. It's just facts. It's the promise of God. As God is the sustainer, as God is the activator, he will multiply. The problem is not here. <laughs> the problem is not God. There's a cog in the wheel, and that's us sowing sparingly, yeah. miserly, holding on to what we have, protect, add. God doesn't say add. God says multiply. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too good at math, but multiplication goes faster than addition, right? Yeah. 
So when we go from one church, we may be able to add 20 people in a year, but we go to two churches, we may be able to gather 350 on a Sunday. We go to two churches, we will multiply, right? And we'll do two churches at 300. Then we'll go to four churches, and they'll all have 350 people. I mean, math, right? A lot better. Then we're reaching that 500,000 people that are going to be added to Gwinnett County. Then we're going to go from, instead of seeing a decrease of 20%, we're going to see it go back up. Amen? Because God is a producer. He wants to bring fruit. I think about uh, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. The parable of the talents, you know, he gives one guy one coin, another one three, another one ten. One guy just stuffs it away and comes back with one. That was unacceptable. The other guys came back and they doubled it. They came back with double. That is multiplication. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply. When we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. I, 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 I know it will happen. I know it will happen. I heard a story this past week uh, in Wyoming. A dear woman, she was 34 years old. She has four children. And uh, it was 5 a.m. in the morning, and their house caught on fire from the kitchen, and everybody was sleeping. Well, another guy was coming down the road, Ryan. Ryan was on his way to work at 5 a.m., and he's driving, and he's going to work at 5 a.m., and he sees the house on fire. He pulled, instead of just keeping going on uh, down to work, he pulls over, and he sees, and three little girls come out. They call uh, 911, and the paramedics are on their way, but the girls, uh, the three oldest, there's a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And... Uh, the girl, the three oldest come out and they say, my mom and, and the baby's still in there. Well, Ryan, he, he, he quickly thinks and he decides to go in. And he, he goes in, he goes in through the garage and there's so much smoke. Smoke just starts coming out of the house. So he gets on his hands and knees and he's crawling in with the smoke. And then he, he feels and he gets the baby and he pulls the baby out. And he brings the baby out, and the baby's breathing and is fine. So gives them to the three kids, but then goes back in and is crawling in. And there's the mom on the ground, and he grabs the mom is passed out in the middle of the smoke. And he grabs the mom's ankles and pulls pulls the mom out and gets her out in the driveway, and that she gets medical attention and she's fine. Ryan saved the mom and the child. Uh, that's, a, that's an incredible hero story. Uh, that story gets me. Because here's a guy on his way to work, and instead of thinking, oh, the paramedics, or oh, let's get somebody with better equipment, he risked his life to go and save two other lives. And it gets me because I think about the hundred and... 75 million unchurched people in the United States. I think about the 466,557 
in Gwinnett County who, as far as we know, if they die, they would go to a place of eternal fire. Because it's scripture is true. If a man, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to eternal heaven. And it's through the grace. It's a gift available to everybody who would receive it. There's only one way and it's through the cross. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Shall not perish in eternal hell, in eternal fire. But if you receive Jesus, you can have eternal life. And my heart is burdened for the million, 175 million in the United States, the 466,000 in Gwinnett County, the who knows how many million in Georgia, who if they were to die, they would spend eternity in hell. I don't know about you, but that grips me and it motivates me to be like Ryan and to get on my hands and knees and to go into every house that is unaccounted for and to go get them and to pull them up by their ankles and to pull them out and to share with them that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is a gift, that Jesus can offer you eternal life. That's why I love going door to door around here. We're going to be going door to door uh, in two weeks. Join us. If you've never joined us, come out on a Saturday, 1030. It's an incredible time. I love going door to door because I talk with these people and I at least get to offer them Jesus to them. And I'll tell you, I've been down the street. I go with my kids. I bring my kids. No excuses. They love kids, by the way. They love it. Oh, they open it up. They love seeing kids at the door. But I, I go with them. In one hour of going down this street right back here, I have talked to a Buddhist, one hour, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Baha'i, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, and uh, Episcopalian homosexual. Conversations with each of those. There are people out there that as far as we know, if they were to die, they would spend eternity in fire. Time, church, to sow bountifully. To give our all. Because really, God is giving his all to us. And so we don't do it reluctantly, we do it cheerfully. Amen. Now at times, i got to be honest, I do it reluctantly. I'm, uh, as I'm starting to step into church planning, it's not easy. Uh, it's going to be hard. I love this church. I got family here. My mom's sitting there on the second row. I don't want to leave her. I love it. As I've talked with some of you about coming with us, some people have said, oh, but it feels like we're leaving family. I say, yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> I got literal family here. It's not easy, but... I see the sufficiency of God 
in all times, in everything, that we may abound in every good work. And I see a harvest out there. I see houses going up in Lawrenceville. There's so many houses going up in Lawrenceville, Decula. And I see them. And you know what I stirred by? It's like Jesus, he says, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. I see houses that if nobody knocks on them, they may go and spend eternity in hell. That's what motivates me. So I'm ready. I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to give my all to so sparingly. And I believe that it's going to happen. I believe in the next two to four years, we're going to see two to four churches planted. Um, my brother Fred will officially start Tuesday. Uh, he's starting early. Next Sunday, he will be installed as associate pastor. April 1st, I will officially go from executive pastor to church planning pastor. Uh, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, excited. Uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. But April 1st, we'll start as church planning pastor. What we'll do is um, we're not going to start a Sunday service immediately. We want to do a lot of prayer. We're going to do a ton of prayer. We're going to have nights of prayer. We're going to have prayer drives, prayer walks. We are already starting uh, prayer on 6.30 on Thursday mornings through Zoom and 12 noon on Thursdays through Zoom. We're going to do a lot of prayer. We're going to do a ton of evangelism. This is what I can't wait to do. God told me starting April 1st to share the gospel every day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to share the gospel with so many people. I'm going to be knocking on doors. Um, and God's told me at least uh, twice a month, if not once a week, we're going to do public evangelism. We're going to continue to meet at Donnie and Law's place. We've uh, had fruit there. We've gathered uh, about 100 people each time. There's been salvations. We're going to continue this. We're going to keep uh, doing public gatherings. We're going to... Mark Green... He, he's got me fired up because we had a conversation and he said we can set up speakers at parks, play music, and we're going to share the gospel in parks. That's going to be fun. Yeah. We're going to do a ton of evangelism, a lot of prayer, a lot of evangelism. And then once there's fruit, once there's, a, once there's salvations, we're going to have them baptized. We're going to start doing baptisms, and we're going to get them involved in missional communities. Here we have life groups. We're going to start life groups. We're going to have five to ten, and then once we're able to gather about a hundred co committed people, that's when we'll start meeting on Sundays. So it could take three months. It could take a year. And until uh, we start on Sundays uh, where God has us, we're thinking Lawrenceville, the Cula area. Um, but until then, you're going to still see me on Sundays. I'm, this is my church. And it always will be. We're not leaving. We're multiplying. Uh, you, I'm, I'm family. I'm sorry. You're not going to be able to get rid of me. We're family. 
I got biological family here, but we are family. And we're going from one church to two churches. And we're going to always be partnering together. And, and then, once we start our first church, we're going to immediately, uh, we're going to keep doing evangelism, we're going to keep doing prayer, we're going to keep doing missional community. That's why we're starting with those three. Because we want those three to be the foundation and then once we start with the Sunday service, God may give us a building, we may rent, who knows where uh, we'll be, uh, a little nervous, um, but who knows where we'll be, but once we start, we're going to immediately start planning to plant other churches. We're not going to wait uh, 49 years to start another church. We're, by the grace of God, we're going to start churches all up and down 316. I want to start churches in Douglasville, Lithonia, Gainesville. I believe God wants to bring about church planning movement, and it comes from here. But it starts with, will you sow bountifully? Will you? Everybody's got to be in. Don't expect somebody else, and it's not about what you don't have. God's given you I love this, the image of the five loaves and two fishes. We give them our little thing. We're one little church in metro Atlanta. We're, we're, I'm one little person with a lot of weakness. I'm not perfect. I give it to Jesus and he multiplies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just give them what you have and let it multiply. And let it feed thousands. Hallelujah. Let's just give them, give them what little we have. We sow bountifully. Not reluctantly. Go all in. Don, if you could come and lead us in a song. And Pete, I know this is on your heart. If you could come and pray for us. Let's all stand, church. Pete, if you can pray. Pete... He came, how many years ago? Four and a half. Four and a half years ago. This guy, I think, is what the reason why we are now stepping into church planning. He has a vision of a thousand house churches in Clarkston. And uh, we want to see that come about. Pete, is that mic on? Hello? Can everybody hear him? Okay, okay, good. Pete, I know this is in your heart. Pray, release, release church planning, release bountiful generosity that we would sow bountifully. God, we come before you this morning, and as we sang earlier, we believe that no one can stand against the great I am. And God, we believe that you are worthy to receive people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. God, you have called us to the most diverse county in America. And so the question, Lord, we want you, your Holy Spirit to touch us this morning is we want to, we believe, but we want you to give us more faith to believe that you are all sufficient, not just of our money, but of our time and of our prayer and of our heart. And so, God, I ask us to bring us together as a church to make you our focus and to take this gospel to every home 
And God, we are grateful because you have called us to this great mission. But God, we recognize that it is going to take every one of us. It's not just up for Stephen to knock on every door, to share the gospel every day. It's for each one of us. So God, I pray that you will burn a deeper, deeper devotion to what you have called us to. I don't know why you gave us the honor of building your church. And we know that your spirit's the one to do it, but you're doing it through us. And so God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us deeper today than you ever have before. And God, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We cling to that promise today and we give you all the glory and all the honor and we long for the day when we will worship with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in your precious and holy name. Amen.